we all just can be quiet for a minute after that. Oh, <clears throat> thank you. Sorry. So I'm going to try to read for you this amazing passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and it's verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the ESV today. If you just want to listen, it's a story. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord anointed, the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. 
And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah, the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me add my welcome to everybody this morning, especially if you're a guest with us. Thank you, music team, for guiding us, bringing us to the throne in worship. Thank you, Carrie Jane, for reading this awesome passage for us. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's also uh, laid out for you on our online bulletin page on our website, 1 Samuel 16. You know, we've all had ideas that seemed really good at the time, Uh, but looking back, you can probably think of a few things that you wonder what you were thinking at the time. Maybe that comes out for you when you get out those old family photo albums and you see that hairstyle that you thought was a good idea, maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. You're thinking of somebody else in your family right now and they're thinking of you, by the way. We all have, we've all had ideas that we thought were good. They actually turned out to be really terrible. I read this week about a treatment for rheumatism in the, eight, the late 1800s known as the whale cure. Has anybody heard of this? I'm just curious. Not many hands. Okay, well, you're all in for a treat this morning. This is my gift to you. Um, th- this was a trend that started in a coastal Australian town. Again, this is called the whale cure for rheumatism. They would haul the carcass of a recently slaughtered whale to shore. They would cut a hole in the carcass of the whale about human size. They would, they would lower the rheumatic patient into the decomposing carcass of the whale with just their head sticking out. And just in case you're having trouble imagining what this would look like, again, my gift to you. For best results, they were told to stay inside the carcass for up to 30 hours. And supposedly that would cure their rheumatism for up to a year if they stayed in the stinking carcass for 30 hours. I mean, I guess it seemed like a good idea at the time. It's hard to imagine this ever sounding like a good idea, right? It was actually a terrible idea. There's no science to back this up. And it's really disgusting. Bad idea. Bad idea. You see pictures like this, it doesn't give us much confidence in the human race, does it? I promise this connects to the sermon. Watch this. For the nation of Israel, they thought it was a really good idea to make Saul their first king. See the connection? That's a little force, isn't it? But it turned out to be a terrible idea, making Saul their first king. It was a disaster. God had even warned them about it. But God in his goodness said, well, how about we go with my choice this time? How about we go with my idea? God selected a new king, David, in the text that we just heard read, a man after God's own heart. And this morning we began a new series on the life of King David. We're calling it Pursuing God's Heart. Other than Jesus himself, nobody else's life in Scripture takes up more pages, more chapters in your Bible. And so God must think we have a lot to learn from this man's life. And that's not to say he was perfect. If you know his story, he was far from perfect. His incredible victories are contrasted with massive failures and sins. 
But his most important characteristic is reflected in the title of our series. What God says about David, despite all his faults and his sins, there were plenty, he was a man who was known for pursuing God's heart. And so in this series through his life, we want to explore his story. We want to explore the lives of the people around him and to see how he models for us what it looks like to pursue God's heart. This morning we'll begin at the beginning of David's story, as we have here in 1 Samuel 16, as God chooses him as the new king, this unknown and unlikely young shepherd. We'll get a glimpse in the story why God chooses the people that he does to do his will, and how we can, and we all can be, we're all called to be, people like David in this way, to pursue God's heart, ready to obey God when he calls. And so let's pray together as we open up God's word. Our Father, we thank you for this scripture that reveals not only more of the life of this man, but more importantly, reveals more of you. And so would you transform us more into the image of Jesus as we, as we consider the story of David. With your blessing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have it in front of you, you can look again at 1 Samuel chapter 16. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? So this is the beginning of David's story, really, in Scripture. But you, you notice we're in the middle of a book. We're in the middle of 1 Samuel, so let's get our bearings here for just a second. Let's remind ourselves where we are in Israel's history. Okay, God has brought them out of Egypt. He's brought them uh, finally into the promised land. And after the death of Joshua, after Moses, they enter a really dark period in their history. And that's recorded for us in the book of Judges. So the people kept turning away from God in rebellion, but God in his mercy would raise up a judge, a leader who would guide his people back to him, restore right worship. The last of these judges was this guy Samuel, as a faithful man of God. As 1 Samuel 8 records, when Samuel grew old, he tried to set up his own sons to be the next judges, to be the next leaders of Israel. But it turns out they weren't godly like their father Samuel, and so the, the nation demanded a king. The people said to Samuel, give us a king so we can be like all the other nations around us. And that's the really key part of their request. Because it wasn't so much the desire to have a king that was wrong. Really, we see glimpses already before this, uh, all through Scripture, that it seemed God's intention to provide a king, ultimately leading to the Messiah himself. But it was the heart behind their question. It was the wrong time. It was for the wrong reasons. They wanted to be like the other nations around them that God had told them all along. I want you to be distinct from them. So in essence, this was yet another rejection of God as their true king, and that's what God tells Samuel. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. But give them what they want. God told Samuel to give the people what they wanted, and so he has Samuel appoint Saul to be Israel's first king, who really embodies, he represents the people's choice. This is what they were looking for in a king. He's tall, he's a handsome warrior, he could fight their battles, defeat their enemies. And it started off pretty good, if you know the story. Hey, maybe the heat and the disgusting fumes of this whale carcass really are doing my body good, after all, right? 
But Saul started doing things his way instead of God's way, and things very quickly went off the rails. God told Samuel that he had rejected Saul as king. Chapter 15 says that at at this news, Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel's a pretty old man at this point. Probably wondering, is this going to be my legacy, leaving my people in the hands of this king? He's devastated. Samuel has already given his farewell address to the people. This isn't how Samuel thought his final days would go. And so fast forward to our text and look again at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now, don't misunderstand what God's saying to Samuel here. Samuel was right to grieve. Samuel was right to mourn here. Saul's failure and rejection was a tragedy for the nation. It was a tragedy for Saul. And we don't know how much time has passed. Some amount of time has passed. And finally, God steps in here to tell Samuel, don't let your mourning turn into hopelessness. Because I'm not done with the nation. I'm not done with you, Samuel. Grief for us, mourning, Lament is a very necessary part of following God in this fallen world. But this text reminds us it doesn't go on forever. It's not what defines us. God is not done with us. He's got a new thing in the works. Get up, Samuel. You thought your anointing days were done. Well, they're not. Fill your horn one more time. This time I've provided for myself a king. Now, the Lord clued us in back in chapter 13 when he gave these words to Saul through Samuel about his rejection as king, but now your kingdom shall not continue, Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. So the people, remember, got what they wanted in Saul, someone who looked the part, who was after their own heart, who was after their own greatness, but God looks for people seeking after his own heart. That's the big difference between Saul and David. Look at verse 2. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for, you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So notice there's some fear that gets stirred up here as soon as Samuel starts following God's plan. First, the fear's in Samuel thinking, hey, if Saul hears about me kind of getting off my usual ministry track, traveling around, he's going he's gonna to get a little concerned. He's going to find out what I'm doing, and he might try to kill me. So God gives him a cover story. Hey, say you're going to make a sacrifice, which is true. Then, the, then fear, we see, gets stirred up, and the leaders of Bethlehem, they, they're scared to see Samuel. The text says they're trembling when Samuel shows up. Now, we would probably be trembling, too, if a judge and prophet just showed up here unannounced one Sunday morning. Kind of reminds me like maybe when you pass a police officer on the road and you maybe slow down a little bit, even if you're not speeding, 
know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me. I hope I don't think it is though. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, good afternoon, officer. Nothing to see here, right? <laughs> this is kind of what I see them doing. The elders of, of the town, they come out to greet Samuel. They're trembling and maybe kind of pretending that they're not. Afternoon, Samuel. Nothing to see here. Hey, say, uh, are you bringing God's wrath on our town? I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I, actually, I'm asking for a friend. So, <laughs> but he reassures them. Hey, don't worry. I'm here peaceably. I'm here peaceably. In fact, uh, I'm making a sacrifice. Consecrate yourselves. Get yourselves ready. And by the way, I'm looking for a guy named Jesse. Can you tell me where he is? And so Samuel goes and finds Jesse, consecrates them, prepares them all for the sacrifice uh, with Jesse and his sons. Look at verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So he sees Eliab, Jesse's firstborn, and immediately Samuel thinks, hey, this is the guy. Okay, this was easier than I thought it was going to be. Boom, done. He looks impressive. He's strong, he's tall, he's confident, he's oozing charisma. Now, we're human. And that's kind of the point that God wants to make here in this text. We're human. We often think we know what God is doing. We think we know God's plan when we don't. Even Samuel, and this is the only time... In all of Samuel's life, Scripture records him really not knowing what God seems to be doing. So we're in good company here. Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so God intentionally puts Samuel in this position he wants Samuel to first use his own judgment so then God can come in and make his point. To teach Samuel and to teach us this really important lesson, and in doing so, he gives us one of the most foundational and important statements in all Scripture about how God operates, about how he sees things differently than we do. We are limited to what we can see as human beings, aren't we? But God, who is all-seeing, who is all-knowing, sees things differently. He sees beyond the physical to the heart the center of a person's thoughts, their emotions and intentions. Not just what they portray to other people, not just what we want others to see in us, but God really sees us. God sees who we really are. Remember, God said this time he's looking for someone different. He's looking for someone after his own heart. And here he says he sees the heart. So sorry, Eliab, you're probably a great guy, but who's next? Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. So one after another, this is almost a funny scene to try to imagine what this would have been like. One by one, Jesse has his sons just sort of parade out in front of Samuel. Nope. Next, nope, next, one by one. I imagine a pretty awkward silence here right after verse 10 and before verse 11. It's kind of this awkward pause. Samuel recounts, maybe he's getting older, maybe his eyesight's not as good as he, did I get everybody? He's counting on his fingers, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. He's kind of a, in a dilemma here, isn't he? God gave him revelation that doesn't seem to line up with his experience. Has this ever happened to you? God told Samuel, hey, I've chosen one of the sons of Jesse, 
But then one by one, God says no to all the sons of Jesse. Do you see, do you see the problem here? See, sometimes God leads us to moments like these in our faith journey to build our trust in Him or to test it. Do you remember Abraham when God said, when He promised Abraham that He would have descendants as many as the stars through His son Isaac? But then what does He tell Abraham to do? Sacrifice your son Isaac. Wait, what? That, that doesn't compute, does it? God's revelation seemed to contradict the situation. How's this going to work out, God? I, th- I thought you told me to anoint one of these guys here. But we can learn from Samuel here. His assumption is not that God must have made a mistake, but there's human error somewhere here. And I love his next question, because this must have sounded crazy. Probably sounded crazy. Uh, Samuel might have been even a little embarrassed to ask this question. It's kind of awkward. Uh, surely Jesse wouldn't have forgotten one of his sons. When a judge of Israel summons the family to a sacrifice, surely he would have remembered to bring them all, right? But he asks anyway, verse 11, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Jesse's like, uh, one, two, three, four, five. Oh, yeah, I do have another son. Okay, that's right. But don't worry much about him. He's the youngest. The, the youngest is the Hebrew word here for the least or the smallest. He's out keeping the sheep. Just go on about your business, Samuel. Well, Jesse, can you go get him, please? Since we're all standing around here, do you think you could do that? Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So David comes in, and Samuel, being human, of course, notices his appearance too. Ruddy means reddish. It has that idea. So maybe a reddish tint to his hair, some people think. But more likely, it's his complexion. He's healthy. There's a a tanned complexion of one who spent long hours in the sun watching sheep. So the text notes that he's, he's a handsome young guy, but it's important to remember this has nothing at all to do with his selection by God. He's the youngest, probably the smallest of his brothers. At the very least, he was deemed insignificant, as we just saw. His own father didn't think it was important enough to invite him to the sacrifice. But what's the point? God saw David. God saw his heart. God saw his sincere love for God. God saw his humility, his courage, as we'll see later in David's story. God saw David when no one else did, not even his own father. And he very clearly let Samuel know, this here, this is my guy. Verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. What a moment this, this is. As the story has been building in suspense as one by one these sons pass by and they're rejected one after the other. And finally this moment comes. His older brothers, you can see him looking down literally on the smallest, the youngest, their youngest brother. Probably a little jealous, a little confused, but just stunned in amazement as this Great prophet, this judge, is anointing him, little David, the shepherd. And the text tells us that the Spirit of God rushed upon David. 
And what happens usually in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God rushes on somebody? They do incredible feats for God, don't they? What does David do here? Nothing. He had a flock of sheep that needed attention, and so he went back to work. This is the first time that we see David in Scripture, but it's already clear if we're paying attention that God knew what he was doing. Here's a man who's not all about himself. Here's a man who's not all about his own advancement, his own greatness, his own reputation. He's faithful to follow God's heart, to follow God's plan before his own. Think about it. He's just been anointed in front of all his older brothers, by the way, anointed as the next king. Does he flaunt this? Does he, get, does he get puffed up with pride? Okay, guys, things have changed around here. Shama, it's your turn. Get out there with the sheep. No, he probably respectfully says, thank you, right? He's honored. But sorry, guys, the, the sheep need me. I got to go. When people see you, what do they see? That's the question that most of us, it's human nature, most of us think quite a bit about it throughout our lives. What do other people think of me? What do they see when they see you? Maybe it's spending a lot of time on our outward appearance, thinking that we need to look a certain way to be accepted or to be respected. Maybe it's a personality that we try to project to impress people. Or we're so overly concerned about our outward achievements and accomplishments because those are the things that people see. Most of us worry from time to time about how other people see us. But this part of the story reminds us the far more important question is, what does God see when he sees us? Because he sees the heart. He sees who we really are, our deepest longings, Our thoughts, our motivations. Now, this isn't meant to be a scary thought here. God is watching you. He knows what you're thinking. No, this is a comforting thought. To the Christ follower, this is really good news. When we're feeling insignificant, when we're feeling small in the world's eyes, this text tells us that God sees us. God sees you. God's got a plan for you like he did for David. And so if you really want an application to take away from this passage, it's follow God's heart. Follow God's heart. This is what we're going to continue to develop throughout the series, but it's clear right away in this opening text. Don't worry so much about following your own heart, which the world loves to say. Follow, just follow your heart. Follow God's heart. Follow God's heart. Focus on growing so close to Him that what you love and long for is what God loves and longs for. Now remember, none of us are perfect. David was certainly far from perfect. God's not looking for perfect followers. He's looking for people whose heart is his. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. This means that God is looking. God is actively looking constantly for people like David, who he can use for his glory, for their good. This is all about the heart. By the way, that's why we need Jesus, isn't it? Because Scripture says a lot about the heart. The heart is deceitful. The heart is sinful. Even our acts of kindness so often have mixed motivations, don't they? See, this is why God sent his son Jesus 
a descendant of David, by the way, that we'll see later in the series, who alone lived a righteous and perfect life. He gave his life for us so he could forgive us, so he could make us right with the Father, so he could give us his heart. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't know what it means to follow God through Christ, you need to know from this text, God's not looking for someone to try to impress him with good behavior. That's not what God's looking for. God is looking for people to say, God, I need you. I need you to give me a new heart. A heart to know you and to follow you. And only Jesus Christ can do that. And as Christ's followers, God is looking at us. God is looking for us to keep our hearts open before him. To not let our hearts drift away from our first love. To not get caught up like the world does with outward appearance. But to focus on the heart. To not allow ourselves to substitute having this right and open heart before God, substituting it with doing the right things, believing the right things, achieving the right things. God is looking for those whose heart is His. May that be us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for revealing more of Yourself to us in David's story. Help us to be people like him in this way that we would care more about what you think than what people think. Help us by your Spirit to be people who run hard after your heart with all our strength. We are weak, we are limited, we don't see what you see, and yet we ask through your Spirit that you grow us more and more to see ourselves, to see others as you see us, to consider the heart. We thank you for Jesus who gives us a new heart. So it's in his name we pray. Amen.